This is Ginger Donnell, your host for Art Beat Conversations. This marks our 20th episode, so I wanted to do something a bit different in order to celebrate that moment. We've had many, many great interviews with indigenous and activism-based artists from around the country and the world, and um, I just wanted to say thank you to all the artists who have participated in this project so far, and thank you to all of the listeners and all the incredible feedback from all over the world that we've been having for this project. Um, This episode, we are going to have kind of an artist's process um, unfold, and um, it's going to be surrounding the artistic narrative um, of a film project I was lucky enough to be a part of um, called This is a Stereotype. And um, This is a Stereotype is a film project that was motivated from an art exhibition by Chinupa Hanska Luger, further inspired by the vision of filmmaker Dylan McLaughlin and collaborator Ginger Donnell, which is myself. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about the, um, the background of this project and then um, we'll hear we'll hear kind of a decompression interview that we all um, participated in and then I'll play the audio from the film um, so that you can kind of get a a full well-rounded experience of what what it was like to create a project like like this is a stereotype if you want to kind of have a hands-on visual while you're listening you can go to www.thisisastereotype.com and read more about the project and the installation um, from Chinupahanska Luger that inspired it and the film is free to download and we hope that you feel inspired to share it with your communities um, take it to your schools um, to your your youth centers, whatever wherever you think that it would do well to strike up a dialogue or a conversation. Um, so this is a stereotype um, was inspired by Chinupahanska Luger's body of work, stereotype misconceptions of the Native American, that exhibited at the Mokna, the Museum of Contemporary Native Arts, from August fifteenth through December thirty first, two thousand thirteen. The exhibition addressed several preconceived notions about Native people supported by popular culture that have been invented, imagined, and rooted within the American public's social conscience. Highlighted in this exhibition was a performance, Destroying the Stereotype, where Hanska let go of the stereotypes embodying his sculptures and invited the community to witness their destruction. The remains of the destroyed ceramic sculptures were then placed on view for the duration of the exhibition. McLaughlin documented this process and together, Chinupa and Dylan felt this conversation needed to go deeper than this exhibition. There were more questions. The explanation and understanding needed further attention. The film This is a Stereotype allows for the continuation of this dialogue. 
the exhibition performance and overall experience was just the spark. It pushed artist Chanupa Hanska and filmmaker Dylan McLaughlin to ask why. Where do these stereotypes come from? Are all stereotypes negative? Do they come from some level of truth? Is there a place to blame? How can we break down these ways of thinking into something positive and useful? Can stereotypes become empowering? How has history influenced the Native Americans and the way that they see themselves today? And how do non-natives in popular culture perceive Native Americans? What are the economic parallels of stereotyping? How do you let go of stereotypes? The questions kept coming. The more they talked about it, the more there was a need to dig deeper, to look at the many stories of past and present, of ordinary and esteemed, in order to have the proper tools to address the idea of the stereotype. The film is made from archival footage, juxtaposed with modern interviews, and woven together with an artistic response. The artist had gathered historical footage from the Institute of American Indian Arts Archive at the Native American Videotape Archive from 1976, alongside more current documentation, allowing a broader approach to addressing the subject matter. The artists pulled from a wide range of sources for interviews, including artists, scholars, political activists, and people represented nations from across the United States. The artists documented many perspectives and created a multifaceted dialogue, which enriches the theme of the film and allows for the audience to build their own interpretation around the misconceptions of the Native American. I guess I'll, let me start. My background is in film. I I work as a as a filmmaker. I do storytelling. Um, a lot of like portraits of, of individuals, mostly artists, and um, really kind of interested in, in what I think of as community storytelling. I don't know if that's really something I practice in the work that I do, but it's an idea that I that I really like and want to play with. And uh, so for me, at least, it was kind of a given. Like film is kind of that medium that that I've wanted to participate in and utilize to tell stories. Interesting. For me, um, being a visual artist and uh, primarily sculpture, I recognize how much of um, my work is actually seen digitally, which is strange to me because being a sculptor and working in the in three dimensions, most of my work by um, society is seen in a two-dimensional format, and um, and really the internet as a is a uh, source of communication. So for me, it was really interesting to work in film and something that I've been interested in um, as of late, I guess, because it is a medium that can be shared. Um, further than an individual object piece, which I'm used to making. And um, so, so it, was, it was important for the subject matter um, to reach an audience greater than what my objects could reach. Um, the film started out uh, as I wanted 
Dylan to film me breaking all of these boom boxes. Um, and just to be clear, that was Dylan who was speaking <laughs> right before you, just to introduce everybody. Oh, yeah. And I'm Chinupa, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ginger, to be clear. So you got... And just to be clear, I'm Chinupa. <laughs> We are one. We are Chinupa. <laughs> so you got Dylan to film the breaking of the exhibition that this all was yeah, inspired and, by. Yeah, and then dialogue is what happened. You know, we began to communicate about this. And, and at that point, we got you into the mix too, Ginger, um, as far as communicating these ideas of stereotyping and what that means and how we were... Um, you know, came to the conclusion basically that a stereotype is something that affects everybody. Um, everyone is stereotyped from one, in one case or another, and we had this indigenous lens to kind of project these ideas of stereotyping, which is kind of like the laziest format of trying to understand somebody. Um, so we figured doing a, a film and communicating and talking with each other and out of that kind of recording our ideas and then putting them into a film format was a great way to reach a, a larger audience than the objects that I made for the original show. Um, because as, a, as an artist, the more successful you become, the narrower your audience becomes um, as far as those who can appreciate the object, pay for the object, and own it. Um, this was something that we could give to everybody who wants to see it. And you were down pretty much huh Dylan like um when he came to you with this idea yeah uh I've always been interested in Chinupa's work and you know he talks about he, he's talking about the idea of of his his work sort of existing kind of two-dimensionally um even though they are kind of you know they're three-dimensional objects and and I feel like there's an opportunity there to 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 sort of married a, a, a different platform of storytelling to that mm. kind of give it kind of give it another dimension maybe recreate that third dimension if you will <clears throat> i don't know this is not something i've ever thought about before <laughs> necessarily it's pretty cool yeah um, no it is interesting because i mean here's the thing it is a third dimension but what it actually is is a fourth dimension because we actually got time involved in the scenario where we're removing the third dimension of X, Y, and Z access. You know what I'm saying? We actually add time. So you see it sequentially as far as a storytelling tool. Film is really great, even though it is a two-dimensional format as far as what's projected onto the screen. There is time that's involved. Um, you can see sequences unfold and stories unfold in real time, which is... Um, which is really interesting, I think, as far as, and is probably why the medium of film is so popular as of today, um, movie making and whatnot, is because it is, it can be viewed as a communication that's direct versus your kind of interpretation of what you're seeing, if that makes any sense. Maybe hmm. I went down a weird direction. Right, and the interesting thing I think about our approach from the very beginning was that it was a collaboration between, kind of between both of these ideas of like, it's not quite film as communication and it's not quite the the very very open-ended storytelling of a sculpture it's mm -hmm. kind of somewhere in between of like let's take both of these platforms and sort of put them together i mean of course the resulting piece of art is a is a film so it's not it's not, it's not, a, it's not a sculpture but still sort of applying 
those ideas of like let's make a film that's very open-ended like like a sculpture yeah 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 that there is still room for your own interpretation yeah yeah no it's true (laughs) (laughs) so that was the beginning of it yeah that was a good beginning and i mean i'm just gonna put it out there right now that it was kind of uncomfortable at points because um as artists coming from all different like mediums that we work with like and then dealing with subject matter that is so touchy as stereotyping like we had countless hours of like um digesting information and material and trying to be as unbiased as possible and let's talk about that a little bit yeah that was that was an interesting thing as far as like um when you're telling a story to try to tell a story without having any uh uh conclusion you know it's like a it's like telling a aesop's fable you know but there's no but we try we were really conscious of not having a solid stance on it you know what i'm saying where where this is how we feel you know it was kind of more like or no th- i don't know it's really strange well, well that's funny because simultaneous to that process like we're discovering things we're we're figuring out things through our conversations and so it's like you know we'd we'd i'd come over and and we'd just we'd just talk right just sort of stand around sit around and talk and this was kind of the process maybe like a couple months before we even really started like reviewing the archival footage which we will get to in a minute um but it so it's kind of this like simultaneous like we're discovering things we're learning about things and for me a big part of like the initial discovery was like how are stereotypes perpetuated and sort of how are they where do they come from and how are they carried on through generations and taken out of context and turned into sort of different stories? Like that was really interesting to me. So I'm, I'm discovering these things. And at the same time, we're, we're developing the idea of like telling a story without being straightforward, without trying to have like an attached lesson or meaning to it or conclusion to it. With something as loaded as stereotyping, which is exactly when you stereotype somebody, you're concluding that you know about them without even learning about them. Yeah, yeah. Completely surface, you know what I'm saying? What you see with your eyes, you know, versus like what you actually understand, you know? Um, it was, it was interesting because before we started this film project, I had just got done doing this, this art show, um, where I made all these ceramic boom boxes. And in that process, I'm sitting there, that's where I really was like learning these stereotypes, where they come from. So I kind of had like this, um, kind of recent knowledge of, of some of this stuff from the research that I did that I was actually hashing over with, uh, you Ginger while I was building them, which was what, a year in advance to the making of the film? Yeah, so it was a long process of digesting all of that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. But then the, the thing that's interesting about that as far as like working collaboratively with two other artists on a project, and it's really interesting because you, Ginger, are very audio-based, you know, um, as far as your, your skill sets and what you brought to the table for the, for the show. Um, 
it was your your the music that you produced for it and dylan with your knowledge in filmmaking and i am make sculptures like where <laughs> what what am i doing in this mix you know what i'm saying but you're also completely critical in your thought and that was i think the beauty of um developing this body of work was that Dylan was editing and he'd come at us and he'd show us a sequence like something like regarding the religion or the schooling and it's such a touchy subject and how do you be like benign in that situation and then we could watch it with fresh eyes and be like wow this is how I interpret it and felt and like just I mean it doesn't matter what where we come from what our background is it's like how critically can we think about stuff with an open mind, I guess? Yeah. Kind well, of. and then having three people, we're removed from our own individual bubble of, of idea making. You know what I'm saying? Where like at me sitting in the studio, I can have all of these ideas that seem really good. They seem like really good ideas. But then uh, but then I like hash it over with somebody and they're like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense, you know, or eesh, I don't know. So it's really nice to be able to collaborate with people and kind of like hash out these ideas and um, pop your own in individual bubble, you know, um, which was which was really interesting to me, I think, from that collaborative aspect of, of making a film. And you don't usually work collaboratively with collaboratively with people, do you, Dylan? And how was it? Right, not in not in the. I mean, see, the editing process is really, it's really interesting, and it's something that I think about a lot because I feel like it's, it's so funny. It's just kind of the contradiction of being a filmmaker these days is <clears throat> a big part of my intentions, and I feel like a lot of filmmakers take this stance, or storytellers, specifically storytellers utilizing film as a platform, take this stance of. Like I'm gonna tell stories very, sort of objectively. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. My intentions are to sort of just let the story tell itself. And yet, the funny thing is that the process of editing, like, literally goes through you, you as an a editor. Filter. Like, you're, you're, you're <laughs> like, you, you have to filter it. You are. You're cutting things up and you're removing things, and you're shaping the story. Yet all the while, your intentions are to tell this very kind of objective story, which is impossible. Like it's it's the whole platform is a subjective platform. So it's really kind of interesting for me to think about because sometimes I'll tell people like, you know, Oh, you know, I love, I love kind of doing these like portraits of people because they I sort of allow them to be kind of very honest and about who they are and they, they present themselves to me. And then I just take what, you know, take their voice and images of them and, and tell a story based on what they sort of gave me. But then it's like, well, it's not, it's not just that it's, it's my interpretation of who they are. It's me cutting out, you know, whatever, cutting cutting out parts of, of who they are, who they're presenting. And so it's like, ultimately, it's my vision of somebody else, no matter how honest I want want it to be. So you just make self-portraits <laughs> with other people. I make self-portraits <laughs> of other people. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, what was that like? I mean, in... We, we lucked out in this story that we chose to tell because it's the story of the Native American umbrella and kind of opening up the eyes of what these stereotypes are and how they aren't necessarily um, true for everyone, you know. So we had this luxury in this situation of completely contradictory ideas from different people from around the country. You know what I'm saying? So like is as subjective as you would become in your in your editing process, there was always somebody who was going to say something that was 
counter to what you had just edited. You know what I'm saying? So there mm-hmm. was, there was like this really nice kind of, um, of uh, leeway as far as um, objective and subjective presentation of this idea. The, 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 the subject itself is so complex and so contradictory that it leaves it open-ended. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I also, you know, right now there's in our, there's a a shock and awe like phenomenon that happens in American culture where we want everything to be like yelled at the top of the mountain that this is wrong. And this film kind of does the opposite. It's meant to like take in, in this organic, gentle way. And I think that that is so different. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, because I just had this thought in my head where you were like raising your fists in the air saying, this is wrong. <laughs> if, if there's anything that we yelled in the making of this film, it's simply, this is <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. There's something, there was no like, this is wrong. This is right. It's just like, this is the stuff <laughs> but but it's funny because people supported this film so much to get made because they believed in fighting against stereotyping uh specifically of indigenous people from north america because that's what we focused on yeah or specifically but, america yeah but yeah. as soon as it got made it's interesting like that wave as soon as they saw it and it became this art piece i just felt like it had it crested in the promotion of getting it made through the kickstarter and all that like that was where the energy was and then as soon as it got made people didn't know what to do with it because we gave it to them for free and it was this this place that they could just have and hold and it was gentle and well the crazy thing is in the society we live in we don't often get the opportunity to take responsibility you know what i'm saying like there's so much of the stuff that that happens to our lives in the in this society is um external you know, where you're like, oh, I got to pay the bills. That's an external influence, you know, or all of these other things. There's regimented things that you have to do because you're expected to do it. But when you're given the freedom of responsibility, I mean, for instance, this film is free. So if you want to share it, you can share it. You know what I'm saying? And like, it's not, you're not obligated to, you didn't necessarily buy it. You know what I'm saying? You didn't, you may have contributed to the Kickstarter and funded it in one way or another, but, um, it's nobody's so it's everybody's and that platform of like responsibility as far as like if you want it to go anywhere you have to make an effort you have to share it you know what i'm saying like or you have to watch it or you know i don't know it's really i think it's a it's a funny and that must be weird for you because you come from a film background and there's a protocol to like films you like hide them in secret and then slowly seep them out through festivals etc right yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I feel like that's never been my approach. I mean, which is nice because this this project really kind of, in a lot of ways, goes in alignment with like my kind of motivations and and uh, intentions with with using film as a as an as a platform of storytelling. Uh, like, I'm very turned. I, I tell people this all the time. Like, I really don't like filmmakers. I really struggle with filmmakers, <laughs> and I don't like the idea of like festivals and like you're saying sort of keeping things very kind of secretive and only only allowing like certain opportunities in which you can show the work and they're special and it sort of creates this relationship to your work where you sort of have to hold it tanned and move with it and I mean there are people that made a film you know 13 years ago and are still kind of moving around with it and submitting it to film festivals and I feel like 
I just can't imagine that. I just, I just can't. And kind of the, the beauty of like, at least my interpretation of Janupa's work is that it's made and it's sort of just like, it's there. It just exists in the world. And so like, these are among some of the initial, initial conversations we had about like, well, what kind of film are we going to make? It kind of went straight to like, well, we're going to make a film that we're able to just put out there and just let it do its thing. Kind of like a, like a sculpture might and not, and not guide it like, like a film typically would be guided. It's funny though, because so much of my, my work is still kind of like that. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm like working on a piece. Ginger knows this because Ginger like comes in and photographs me in process and stuff like that. I'm always like, don't, don't post that. Don't post it until I get the show up, you know? And I'm like totally like hiding the work until I get to present it on its initial um, well, yeah, and that's. I mean, I can understand that layer of like, um, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, I believe it's called cloak and dagger. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> but I can understand that in art and in the process of it. And I feel like, um, you know, it, how long did it take us to f- complete this project? Like, was it six or eight months or? Well, how do, I guess it depends on when you start like, counting. Yeah. When you, when you start counting, we, uh, so, so my timeline, um, because before I was involved, you know, Chinupa was working on the show, Ginger, you're a big part of that sort of communication, the dialogue there about the stereotypes and sort of where they come from and kind of the, the meaning, their origins, sort of how they're perpetuated and that, that sort of story. And then so towards the end of the exhibition, which took place like August to December, I think. Yeah. Um, 2013. 2013. I came in, I came into the project. I mean, to the, you know, Chinupa came to me like in, I don't know, mid-December. And we talked about the idea of like, well, initially it's just like, we're, I'm going to, Chinupa was going to do a sort of a performance and, and uh, let go of these pieces, an act where he, where he dropped them and broke them. <clears throat> on this rock in the in the Museum of Contemporary Native Arts in Santa Fe and I filmed the thing I filmed the performance and that's where the sort of in, the initial conversation started well um, that's what I thought this film was going to be you know what I'm saying yeah. like that, that at the initial intention from from the bubble of Chinupa's little world you know what I'm saying that was it I was like oh yeah we just need to film this happening so other mm-hmm. people can see it happening because not all those people are going to be here you know yeah that's what we had talked about for the first like I don't know at least for the first month maybe it was kind of like as the film started shaping and it was nice because the whole thing was kind of this very kind of organic process of like and a, you did make a film right of that I mean, you made a, like a three-minute yeah. short of it. Yeah, yeah. We so that that was the first film we made. It was like a I don't know three and a half minute film of of sort of you're seeing the the ceramic pieces, and there's this narration about about kind of the thesis of the show, like mm-hmm. of, of how stereotypes fit into at least Chinupa's narrative of how they fit into like society, and and then there's the process of like of them being broken, destroyed, and let go of. And so that was this first like three minute film. And just in the process of creating that, the conversations that took place sort of behind the scenes, we realized like, let's like, we have an opportunity to tell this sort of behind the scenes discussion, like all the things we were talking about that the pieces maybe remind us of or, or, uh, pique our curiosity. It's like, let's tell a story. Let's tell a film. Have a, let's make a film about that, about those sort of 
behind the scenes discussions. And, and that's, I guess when it started, I mean, I think that was really like, I don't know, early in the year, like beginning of 2014, we started talking about, about like, well, what would this film look like? And we didn't really know. We just kind of kept having these conversations and, and, uh, we at some point thought of the idea of like, well, let's, um, let's take a look at some like archival footage that we may, may be able to find. I well, was, we were, we were like talking about it. And so the, the, the art show became like this catalyst for ideas. You know what I'm saying? And you didn't want to be the bottleneck, the bottleneck. I didn't it. No, no. Like and the voice of why stereotypes are bad well and that's that was like my fear as a as a artist and art maker you know what i'm saying like i'm a maker i love making all kinds of different things and i was afraid the reason why i wanted to make the film in the first place was so that there would be a point of reference that if people were like let's let's talk about you know stereotypes and and i didn't want to be the voice for that you know what i'm saying i didn't want to be the the um yeah like you said the bottleneck of of stereotyping of native people and stuff like that so um so i was like let's make a film and then that can be the reference point they can just watch that and i don't have to talk about this for the rest of my life because that's a real fear as an artist that you get pigeonholed into one kind of um idea you know that you have to work the rest of your life towards you know manifesting that idea and i was like oh god i don't want to do that Whatever. You don't want to be the stereotype guy? I don't want to be the stereotype guy. Yeah. Forget about it. What you a know? stereotype. It's so funny, though, because then, then so our intention, you know, we started talking about, you know, making, making that three and a half minute film of me letting go of the, of the objects and breaking them um, or them breaking themselves. And then we just started dialoguing about it. And, and you were involved in this whole scenario as well. And we started talking about it in like, in a bigger circle and like, you know, we were talking about art and native art in particular was this kind of interesting point of, um, of stereotyping, uh, where we, we've done it to ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We saw what was popular and we would re rebuild that over and over again. Um, and so we wanted to find some art cause, uh, uh, Dylan and I both went to the Institute of American Indian Arts and we were like, Oh, we should dig into the archives there. Cause I'm sure we can find some really great footage or film of, of like that era of art making, you know? And, but what we found was a freaking treasure trove. Yeah. It was funny. I mean, it was really, at least in my, like my side of the story, it's like kind of felt like an accident. I was, I was working on a, a completely separate, like visual piece for this, uh, like music performance. And I was using a lot of like archival footage of like, you know, trains from like the tw like 1920s and, like, uh, armies, I mean, like, um, military officers and like all sorts of weird kind of archival footage that I was pulling. And, uh, so when we started having these, this conversation about this film, I was like, we'll just try it. You know, I'll type in this, like type in like native American or like American Indian or stereotypes into, um, into one of these archival databases. And I found some footage of like, of this family and it was kind of like very ordinary, day-to-day -day sort of stuff of just like this this um this m woman and man and, and their children they're just kind of around the house and the the father is talking about being um I think he's a like a priest or something in the in the, in the church and they're in their community and brought that over and I was like what if we try this what if we try like some archival footage and uh and then we sort of 
talked a little bit logistically of like, well, how do we find archival footage that we can get permission to use? And so then we were just like, well, let's try IAI's archive. Like maybe they have stuff we can use. Like we're, we're both alumni and, and uh, maybe we can get away with using something without having to go through all this sort of, all the logistics of, of um, being able to use it. So we went down to the, to the school and like immediately uh, Ryan Flayhive at the at the archives was like props to Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah big yeah. ups to Ryan. He was like, sounds like maybe this archive. Like, take a look at this, and it was it was perfect. It was it was what we ended up using, like the Native American videotape archives. And uh, we were like, well, let's let's take a look at it. And so we pulled just kind of a random tape from over two hundred of them. Like they have a drawers full of them. We pulled just something random went into this viewing room, popped it in, and within the first, like, three minutes, we were like, wow, this is exactly what we need to tell this story. Yeah, well, it was really interesting because it, the video archive was from 1976. So it was a bicentennial program put out by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you know. Um, but the, the time is what was really interesting to me. Because 1976, you know, it was a really important time in history as far as social justice goes, you know, um, civil rights movements happening right then. This is, um, um, this was a really kind of like interesting time as in, in native communities. With AIM and everything, yeah? Well, or... yeah, and I mean, the year before was the, um, it was the Self-Determination Act of 1975 that, that went down. Um, and then a year later, the film uh, project was put out as a bicentennial. 1776 to 1976. Bicentennial. I mean, this was like the beginning of like uh, the Title IV SEEA project or programs in the, in the country. Of like... Right, right. But with, those are all like portions of offshoots of this self-determination, you know, where, where it was... Um, where, where uh, native communities, reservations from around the country, are there's, you know, all of these programs in place that are like uh, time, to, time to participate. You know what I'm saying? Time to like become society, you know? And so there were all these, all these kind of like funded things to make it happen, but then there was also these like contradictory things. I don't know. It was very complex. Anyway, 1976 comes along. The BIA funds this program where they send out cameras to all these different reservations around the country to film their communities in what their community is doing. Not, that's what was really interesting to me because these films were shot by Native people about Native people, which is, which is incredibly rare. You know what I'm saying? Particularly at that time of, of, um, um, showing where you come from, from your own perspective, you know, and, um, and then Native Americans under this umbrella, where that's how we're viewed. But when you watch these things, there's so much variation between all of these different communities, like you would expect from any society, you know, is that there's variety, you know, so it was, it was, I thought it was a really interesting um, archival uh, uh, body, and particularly because no one ever saw it. It, like, just got immediately archived, you know? Like, they done, done all this shooting. I think there was a couple of tapes that were edited together, you know? Yeah, they had they had edited... I'm not entirely sure the timeline of, like, what happened with this project, but it sounds like within the, the next, um, I don't know, maybe five years or so after the all the footage was gathered, there was, like, some really extensive archiving done, or, or uh, cataloging done, 
and um, there were these like what they call master tapes put together, like, like edited, um, like the footage was edited into these, I don't know, maybe 10 or so tapes, which we weren't able to access because they're all on like, it's on this like one inch uh, Sony tape. It's like a, <laughs> like a, the players were only made from like 1983 to like 85 or something. And so it's kind of like, yeah, it was like, uh, like archaic technology. Yeah. So, so we, we were never really able to access that. I mean, I mean, the footage has, I mean, it's, it's being utilized, you know, there are researchers that will go to or the, either the library of Congress or the Institute of American Indian arts and, and, you know, review some tapes and uh, maybe use them for academic purposes for their own research. But as far as, like, you know, publication of them, like, it, they, like nothing really has happened as far as, as far as the last 20 years are concerned or, or 30 years or so, you know, like they've kind of just um, sat there. I mean, I don't even know if the communities have seen this footage since then oh yeah i know well i remember when we first showed it at the museum of contemporary native arts in santa fe in august 2014 somebody in the audience was like hey that's so and so he's just down there at booth number so and so you know like does he know that this is happening yeah so that's really interesting because it, it's complex because it's like we had we didn't contact the families or the people and we i mean yeah well we we have i mean the, we have the luxury of doing a kickstarter to make this film so in that we basically got it funded and we could give it away for free we're not trying to make money off of this and so therefore we kind of have like a gray area as far as um as far as copyright or anything like that you know and it was it was kind of interesting to me and this is just from my perspective but when that when the uh that was mentioned at the show i was sitting there thinking to myself um he's not that guy anymore you know what i'm saying like like That's i mean cool. <laughs> i mean it's really it's really interesting because i mean i i'm not who i was 10 years ago you know what i'm saying if i saw footage of me from 10 i mean and this is 30 years ago right right exactly like it's the 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 span has so long that, I mean, you're reinventing yourself all the time. And then, you know, what this person said at this point is going to be maybe contradictory to who they are today. You know what I'm saying? But that was what I thought was really interesting about having this footage from 1976, because um, it's pr the primary visuals that we're, we present in the film is from this era, you know? And um, instead of us telling story, from now, from a contemporary period about what happened then, you could actually see it. And they tell it. And they tell it. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and, and like I said, even if they, to if, even if we found that person and they told us that story today, it would be different than that person telling us that story from right then and there, you know? Right. One, one of the things that I liked to think about, sort of in the process of, of uh, thinking about I don't know how the, how these stories kind of related to, or, you know, how we use these stories, these sort of stories from 1976, these voices, people's lives. Uh, like one of the things I was thinking about simultaneous to creating this project was how these stereotypes are, are perpetuated through generations. And it's kind of funny. I mean, it's not just stereotypes, but it's like entire perception of the world. It's like through every generation there are things that just become like, I mean, I mean, I don't know, like stagnant or, or normal. You know, like, um, I just drove to, to, out to Kansas 
just recently and through that drive, you know, the, the landscape's like so flat and there's just nothing. And then all of a sudden there were like these like trees, I guess this was probably still in Oklahoma. And there were like, there would be like these pine trees, like random sort of groupings of pine trees. And I realized like that, you know, they look so out of place. And I realized, well, it's because people, you know, a couple of generations ago planted these trees. Like there were homes like in, in these spots. And so everywhere you see these pine trees, there was a home and there's no longer anything there now. And so it's kind of funny, like, you know, like that generation that planted those trees, it was very intentional. It's like, we're going to create, sort of manipulate this, this plot of land to suit our needs. We're going to have trees and a little privacy. And then their children grow up with their just being trees there. And so it's totally normal for them to just, oh, they're just naturally trees here. And so it's kind of funny how through that generational gap, the perspective or perception of the world kind of just becomes like whatever the previous generation sort of laid down, that next generation just picks up and it's just normal. And I think it's the same with stereotypes and how they're perpetuated. Yeah, that's a really interesting story because um, there was probably trees there and then they cut them all down to make fields for growing. And then they planted trees to create windbreaks for the fields. And then the next generation was like, oh, there was always trees here. You know, like that, the way that that story gets convoluted through generations is, is really interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was a point in history where Oklahoma was covered in trees. You know what I'm saying? There was a point in history when Oklahoma was an ocean. You know, like there's like really strange kind of, kind of things when you're talking on this. And which is why I brought up this idea of fourth dimension. You know what I'm saying? Time as a, as a, as a medium to be working with. There's something really interesting about time, particularly when you're freezing moments of it. And, and, and I think access to these archival things was like a frozen moment in time, you know? So, so when you access that directly, then you, you, you take out the game of telephone, you know, you take out the interpretation of how I viewed 1976 because I wasn't born then, you know what I'm saying? Like how I would view it would be totally fictitious. It would be like what I learned you know or heard about it'd be a stereotype i would be stereotyping 1976 <laughs> you know what i'm saying um which is which is interesting and it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the things that we came up with with stereotypes that at its root it's semi-commendable it's an effort made to understand somebody else but the problem happens when you don't dig any deeper and you just go with the stereotype you know what i'm saying where you're like hmm I got that figured out because I have this very surface idea to deal with. Indians, check. Yeah, exactly. And what kind, you know? Feather or dot, check, check. Like, you can say these terms and then immediately an image pops into your mind, no matter who you are, where you're from, you know what I'm saying? And it's not going to be the same for everybody, um, but there will be a, a stereotype that pops into your head, you know? And, and it was kind of, like, really interesting to play with that, that very thin line between... Um, um, right and wrong sort of getting to this realization of like stereotypes like sort of what Chinupa was saying about how stereotypes are kind of just like this way of one group of people trying to get to under, like understand another group of people I mean which is I think very practical I think it's a really useful way of seeing the world I mean it's I think it's useful that when you when someone says a word of a certain group of people, you have an image of it in your head. Like, I think that's really helpful as far as like identifying who you are and who are other people are. I think on, on some, to some extent, it's like, it's kind of just the way the world works and it's, and it's beneficial. 
And so then when you start looking into stereotypes, it's like, well, you know, stereotypes kind of have this connotation of being like being negative. They're sort of like these bad sort of looming things that exist in, in our society and in the world. And yet, if you think of them as the in the foundation of being like just a sort of a way of understanding and relating to the world and other people, it's like, well, some stereotypes I think are very positive things. And this is kind of one of the first things that I think started thinking about that really changed my idea of what stereotypes meant to me, but also who sort of carries uh, and perpetuates stereotypes. Because I felt like, especially on, among like the umbrella term of, of Native American, you know, some of these stereotypes like don't even apply to me or to Tunupa or to Ginger or, or, or many other people. And then some of them are very, very close to home. And so it's kind of, it's kind of tricky. I mean, it's like what I started thinking about early on was like some of these stereotypes are like, are not bad. I mean, sometimes I feel, or, or like my first example that I used was like feathers and how feathers are, are a, a huge stereotype. I mean, of like, as far as imagery and representation of, of sort of the larger, like Native America, it's like every, you know, so people use feathers, but the way I saw that was, well, the way I started thinking about it was that, well, it's, it's true. Like we use, like a lot of people use feathers and sure the, the use might be different and the application and purpose might be different, but the fact is like, they're there in a lot of societies. And so, I don't know, it became sort of took the word stereotype for me and turned it into a little bit more of like a complex thing of like, well, there is it's not just that they're all negative, it's that there are sort of some, they come from honest places a lot of the time. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a root, you know, and that, that, that was the question. Like there's, there's a root somewhere to these stereotypes, you know, there was a point of reference. Um, but then the, yeah, the, the problem and the fear that I had with making of the, of the thing is that then it, it's the point at which the stereotype becomes the icon you know, and that's, that's where it's, where it's strange to me, where, um, communities can, uh, basically build their own, uh, perspectives and or identities through the stereotype. You know what I'm saying? Where they're like, you know, particularly in, in Native America, there's been so much, um, um, uh, quieting so much, uh, um, oppression, you know what I'm saying, of culture, that things got lost, you know, and in that process of things getting lost, there was a there was a period, which oddly enough, was around 1976, you know what I'm saying, of people looking back and trying to re identify with themselves and, and a sense of pride in their in their nativeness. And, um, and, and, but then your point of reference is the stereotype, you know what I'm saying? You're like, what, what, if I'm going to look back to, to, to really understand who I am as an identity, um, a lot of the times the the initial things that you're inspired by are stereotypical, you know. And and how do you rebuild uh, your own culture and your own knowing? Um, I mean, particularly if you're a, a native who's removed from their community, you know what I'm saying? Which happened a lot, um, relocation and and all of these other uh, um, social and 
and political movements, you know what I'm saying, that and, and oppressions that happened to Native peoples in the United States, um, remove them from their communities. And when they're looking to understand who they are and where they come from in this constant struggle that we can all relate to, which is identity, um, wh- where's, your, where's your well to, to draw your knowledge from? And the, the frightening and kind of like unfortunate aspect is so much of that is stereotypical, you know, it's stereotypical imagery. It's imagery that we may think is true and correct, but it's, it's actually, you know, um, uh, just base, very surface, you know, and, and where do you, where do you find meeting out of, out of context? You know, that's, that was my fear, you know, that was my fear and my initial, um, idea of making, making the film. But then in the process of making it, it was like, oh, this is very, sophisticated this is very complex and we can't uh make statements like that you know what i'm saying we can't because it's not true for everybody and that's that's a stereotype you know so and which is why we ended up calling the film this is a stereotype you know is because no matter how hard we tried to be objective in in the presentation of this film it's not going to be true for everybody and that's that's pretty you know that's 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 honest you know yeah i mean for me it's like now that the film is done one of the really nice things about but watching it and listening to all these individual individuals present their own stories is like they're all kind of contradictory to to one another i mean not necessarily like in like opposition of one one another but they're they're all kind of their own unique perspectives and yet for me as an individual watching like regardless of how contradictory these statements are, they all feel very true to me. Like I can relate to all of them. Yeah. No. Well, because it's sincere, which is what is lacking so much of the time is sincerity. You know what I'm saying? Particularly, I mean, a lot of stereotypes are based on truths. You know what I'm saying? This is the truth. And that is so rigid and not flexible at all. But when you, I mean, yeah, there was so much contradiction between the things and you would sit there and you'd be like, that's, that's a contradiction. But then you're like, you have the realization that these are human beings. Of course there's going to be contradiction. You know what I'm saying? You catch yourself when you're, when you, the moment you're like, oh, that's a contradictory statement. Then you catch yourself recognizing the fact that it's human beings, not the stereotype, not Native Americans. You know what I'm saying? Not the, the community as a whole, but individuals. And when you get into these individual stories, there is no contradiction. All of that is honest and sincere. You know what I'm saying? Like, and to, to expect um, to, to, to label it as contradictory is, is, um, absurd, you know, like what, 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 what society in the world doesn't contradict itself? You know what I'm saying? What group of people don't have different views, you know, but, and I, I would like to initially say when we first presented it and, and how we, we set it up as a Kickstarter program was that we wanted, my intention was to be like an educational tool. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is something you could watch in a classroom and then have a discussion afterwards. You know, we wanted it to be a catalyst for dialogue. And, um, but when we first presented it under those, under that guise of a, of a teaching tool, then it got bottlenecked and people started asking us questions and wanting an answer. And we were like trying to answer these questions, but it was like, ah, I, that, that wasn't even mentioned in the film. And now I've got to like give you an answer. And all of a sudden I am the 
expert on this and I'm not an expert. I am just this guy. You know what I'm saying? But, but like when you're standing up on a, on a stage or behind a podium and you got a mic in front of you, you're the expert, you know what I'm saying? And like anything you tell somebody, then, then they too become the expert, you know, they're like, Oh yes. Well, I heard this from a really reputable institution where somebody's sitting up there said something, which is like how so much of our information is, is presented. It's like, who is that guy? And why is he the expert? You know what I'm saying? Like what makes that guy the expert, you know, like, I don't know. It was really interesting. So that was the first time we showed it and we were like, all super uncomfortable. Yeah, really (laughs) uncomfortable. Because it just bottlenecked so quickly, you know what I'm saying? With all these different questions and we're representing such a huge swath of people and like to have us, us three are from three different locations. Our perspectives are all different. Our cultures are all different. Well, the point is, is that we're just artists creating a body of work. Right. Or moreover, we're just human beings. You know what I'm saying, which is which is something that um, that I think the stereotype removes. Like w- this, the stereotyping is is a process of compartmentalization. You know what I'm saying? It's a process of of um, the scientific method. You know, let's break it down to its individual parts and try to understand the whole by its by its parts, um, which isn't how anything else works in the world. You know, everything else in the world works like we're in the whole thing let's figure out how we fit in as an individual versus like let's understand the individual and lock them into their places in the whole thing i don't know it's just like it's flipped and it's reversed and it's really kind of like convoluted and confusing it's to run society like that is really strange you know and and you recognize it when you're talking on these sorts of um situations where people are bottlenecking us for with the questions to these answers that had weren't presented in the film at all, but like sparked an idea in them. And they were like, well, what about this? And da, 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 da. So the second time we showed it, we came up with this idea of, um, the answers aren't important. That's not the important thing. In fact, the answer is the least important part of this whole process. What is important is that people are asking questions, you know, because, because the core of stereotypes is, is an answer. It's a knowing without any effort. It's like, just give me the answer so I can move on to the next thing. You know, uh, feather, Indian, check. Let me move on, you know. But when you're, when you're like, what's with the feather? Well, that opens up a whole myriad of other questions. You know what I'm saying? That, that it's, not, um, it's not so black and white and cut and dry. You know, it's not instant. It's like, oh my God, I asked one question, which opened up three questions. And each one of those questions have five questions. And it's just like a real human interaction of how you understand things where it's like let's communicate let me reach you and and you can't can't have a conversation by making statements at one another you know what i'm saying like blah 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 you know like that's not a conversation you gotta you gotta talk and you gotta ask questions so the second time we presented it anytime anybody asked us a question we would smile and we would nod and be absolutely sincere and thank them for asking that question and be like Ah, exactly. Good point. Reinforce their questioning, you know? I, I thought it was great. I mean, it, because we, we sort of talked about this of like, well, what will happen if we, if we just kind of validate people's questions and it made a lot of sense to us. And at first, it, I think it really kind of caught people off guard. Like the f- first person asked a question and, and, you know, Chinupa sort of validated, you know, kind of affirmed like, yes, you know, exactly. And, 
so they they kind of rephrased the question and asked it again and and once again it was like yes you know exactly <laughs> right and and uh, it wasn't a yes or no question let's be clear right right yeah. right well and but then they are they all are you know what i'm <laughs> yeah, saying yeah. like but yeah. just for these people listening like yeah 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 there wasn't a question that ended in yes it was like a question like well what about these people not being represented in the in the piece you know and and then your answer from from your high horse behind the podium is yes exactly mm-hmm. yeah so at first i think people uh, kind of, I don't know. I think there was a little bit of like unsure what was happening. You know, they're not answering our questions. What's going on? So another person would come in and ask a question, and once again, it was like, yes, exactly, mm-hmm. like great question, and uh, and people caught on like pretty quickly after that of like, oh, they're not going to answer our questions, and so this is an opportunity to kind of either uh, ask very open ended questions, not seeking an answer or to make statements. And that, that started happening. Like people, there was kind of this process of people asking these questions, not looking for an answer, but just kind of like, I wonder about this. And they would sort of put it out there. And the next person would come up and say, it made me think about this. And it it was like, it, it did something for that little community of people that were there uh, it was, I don't know. It was really interesting. Well, yeah. And I thought that was what was kind of one of the more interesting things is because, um, you know, a lot of those questions were like, why wasn't this represented in the film? And yet those questions came up regardless. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like without representation, they're implied. You know what I'm saying? Like the lack of them being there makes them there. You know what I'm saying? Like there was, there was something about, there was something about what we were talking about earlier of it being um, instead of a, a educational film with a cut and dry you know answer, it was more of an art piece, which made it left it more like a sculpture, like we were talking before, or some other art piece where there was room for interpretation from the from the viewer, you know, and so so that was a really interesting thing because we all have so much baggage, you know what I'm saying? We all have all these different issues that may not be represented in the film, and yet the film itself acts as a catalyst, which is, which is exactly what our intention was, that it was going to be some sort of thing that inspired people to dialogue, you know what I'm saying? Inspired people to, to talk and ask questions of one another and communicate. And it was 100% effective. And it was effective the first time, and that's why we got bombarded with questions. And it was far more effective the second time we presented it because we weren't trying to answer them, because we were reinforcing the questions, you know what I'm saying? Then And then that almost... Um, galvanized the 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 um audience as part of the presentation as part of the art piece and as part of the show whoever views it then um empowers that film to empower themselves to ask these questions and maybe go out into society and the world and communicate with the people who are around them in that fashion you know what i'm saying that's some some grandiose you know <laughs> hopes and dreams but that's so old school <laughs> but that was an effort you know what i'm saying and it was conscious it was a conscious effort that we made this wasn't like i mean now that, that's the thing about the our little group is we we're pretty pretty methodical about everything that we did and and for as loose and and open-ended as it seemed we were very methodical in that process you know what i'm saying we we thought about all of these angles and we and we um found ways to resolve any sort of situation that we were having. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, so after, after this second presentation, which was during Indian market of 2014 in Santa Fe. Uh, so after we showed the film, it's kind of our preliminary screening. 
I was out on the streets in Santa Fe, sort of walking around looking at, you know, different folks' booths and that sort of thing. And and a woman came up to me who had been at our at the screening and, you know, said some some nice things about the film and uh and then said, um, you know, because we were cut short a little short with our with our opportunity to ask questions. Like we kinda of ran out of time for with our presentation, had to just sort of end it. And this woman came up to me and said, you know, I, I, I didn't think about, she just kind of, she was like, I feel bad because I didn't think about these questions until after I left the space. And, uh, she was like, I wish I'd been able to ask them because now I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to be carrying these questions with me. And I thought that's exactly it. That's exactly the way that I want to live. You know, I want to walk around and not have to constantly be seeking answers. Like we should, we should carry questions with us and just sort of allow those questions to, to just be with us, just be carried with us and not constantly be looking for an answer to them. Like I, I thought that was really, really wonderful to hear from her. Yeah. Questions are a lot lighter than answers as far as carrying stuff goes, you know, there's nothing inside of a question. I, I just remember how important it felt to me and to you guys too. I think I'm projecting here, but, um, to choose the voices that we had, um, to be the modern voices to speak over this archival footage and um and that was a complete process in itself you know trying to get um um contemporary indigenous people who were um speaking about stereotyping in their work on all different levels we had a comedian we had an activist we had um people people who are scholars, um, all this kind of stuff. So I just wanted to talk, talk a little bit about, um, about that audio that was on the film. Yeah. I think, I think their voices were important and I think their voices were way more important than their identities are. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, so going into it, like I, I love and appreciate everyone who participated in the making of this film and, and those who, you know, um, contributed as far as the people we interviewed. But my my concern is that um, it's more important what they said than who they are. Cool. You know what I'm saying? We were looking for a demographic that was broad and wide and represented Native America, you know, the Native Americans, you know what I'm saying? Um, um, so, so, so that there would be room for um, variety, you know what I'm saying? That we don't all fit under this one umbrella. It doesn't cover us all as far as who, who we are and how we identify. So we wanted a really good demographic, you know what I'm saying? Um, so in that, we are looking for um, um, uh, variation between uh, age, variation between sex, variation between um, um, uh, points of, of interest and, 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 and what, they, what they talk about, what they teach, what they think about, you know what I'm saying? Like, well... From my perspective, um, we collected, um, we invited people to be interviewed that work with stereotyping in their um, daily practices, be it art or be it like education or academics or activism. Like it was, a, it was conscious on who we chose because they're already having these conversations um, in their daily life. And I thought that that would um, be a really important element because they already are coming from that perspective. And after making the film um, and getting to a certain point, like maybe three 
quarters of the way done where the editing process actually happened um, heavily, I feel like I came to the realization that it could have been anybody that we interviewed, you know, like it, it didn't need to be these people who work with stereotypes because we all work with stereotypes. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that the, the intention was, um, thought of very clearly for me, like I wanted Adrian Keene on this film. Like she's a powerhouse of a female indigenous woman you know like I wanted her voice on there but when it comes down to it like what we ended up using the content was um so human and elemental it didn't necessarily have to be these people and more importantly the more is those specific people the further it is from honesty you know what I'm saying like I don't know like like you're saying like I I I like, and this was probably my own, you know, in individual perspective, you know what I'm saying? But like, I'm always like, as an artist, take me out of the picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at the art, look at the work that's done, not who I am as a human being, because as a human being, I am flawed. You know what I'm saying? I am not the, you know, this like, I'm not as pretty as the pieces that I make are, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're complete where I am still in process, you know, and, and I like that, you know, for, from my perspective. So, so as far as like presenting these folks as, um, I don't want to present them as, as the human being, you know, or, or the individual, I want to present them as, as this idea, you know what I'm saying? That these are ideas that happen in the world, you know? Um, yeah. And then the fact that we didn't use the, um, the visuals of them at all, you know, was yeah. really, and only reference them at the very beginning, you know, so that their voices all begin to blur and confuse. And you're like, who just said that? And you don't have a point of reference to who just said that. They all become our voice is what it, what it, what it comes down to. You know what I'm saying? Our voice as a society, you know, um, um, with, with, with their individuality removed, they are, they are this, they represent contemporary, you know? Um, but without them having a name, it's, it does open, open end this like time, log you know and then there's sort of the uh the juxtaposition between those contemporary voices and then those voices from 1976 and that's interesting because um it also allows them to become sort of like the they're they're kind of living the lives they're like they're the effect of those previous that previous generation i mean at one point in the film you know, sort of this little section on, um, on bilingual programs, language, language immersion programs, these title four, uh, programs. Uh, so we've got like all this footage from 1976 of, of people in the classroom talking about these programs that they're building and their intentions behind them and sort of, you know, where they see them going. And then we have immediately followed a contemporary voice talking about directly benefiting from these programs. Right, right. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Let's talk about the future intentions of this film. And like, now that it's made and we've given it away for free to the public, like, let's talk about how that makes us feel as artists and what we hope happens to it now that it's out in the, in the world on cyberspace for free to download at www.thisisastereotype.com so yeah well with that being said uh i am on to the next thing you know my what what are my future intentions 
I don't have any future intentions. I'm leaving this entirely up to society. You know what I'm saying? Like I made my effort and we presented a, a thing and we got your help to, to make it happen, which was proof that it was wanted. And now it's not mine. And I let go and I walk away. I've got other things that I want to do. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, like my whole intention of making it was so that I wasn't this guy. So I'm not the stereotype guy, you know? So I'm, for, for me, I have, I have like no expectation really at this point. I just want to, um, I feel really good that there was a point in history that this was something that I wanted to talk about and I got all, all out in a very clear and concise way, truest to my my form and i'm like there you go world let's see what you do with it and that's where i stand mm -hmm. I, I i completely agree uh i mean i i'm very happy to sort of allow the film to kind of just be out there i mean people are still watching it you know people watch it every day still um and share it you know just just today i saw that a friend of mine had shared it and and it was great you know i thought like well this it's still impacting people it's still sort of just doing its thing which makes me feel like I really don't want to, I don't want to push it. I don't want to, I don't want to guide it anywhere any longer, you know, just kind of like let it be out there and let it impact people or not impact people. I mean, I have heard stories of people watching it and just sort of being like, it's not for me. It, uh, you know, it does these negative things and it's like, well, that's great. Cause that's part of the process too. You know, mm -hmm. if you can watch this film and I don't know, be affected by it or not be affected by it. I think that's great. It's it's all part of, it's all part of the communication and the dialogue and uh, whatever people take away from it, like that's valid and it's part of their contribution to the world. Yeah, no, I agree. I have the same feeling. I feel like um, we've completed a good work of art and it was a good, um, it was a, a really nice um, collaboration. I really enjoyed like being able to make the music for the piece and to learn a lot more about um, the indigenous people of the mainland, you know, and like the diversity here and just hear these stories. And um, I feel like the main thing that I want to see happen for it in the future is for it to um, have its own legs and to keep going because I do think it's an important work of art. And in my ideal situation, like with me removed and you guys removed from it, I hope it shows in museums, you know? I hope it goes and be and gets to be the piece of art that it deserves because it's beautiful. Like aside from the social content, I feel like it's a beautiful body of work. And I think that we're all three um, artists who put a lot of care and respect into it on that level. So for me, that's my, um, that's my hopes and dreams for it, that it gets to continue to resonate as an artistic expression, you know. Um, and we got to show it um, in a, like an, a social engagement setting where we interacted with the audience. And now I hope that um, institutions and human beings can do that themselves right and i think the thing that makes me kind of happy about it going off and kind of having its own life is that we were able to sort of i mean we we titled the piece this is a stereotype and so you know when i think of uh, about like well is it going to be relevant and you know in five years you know what's it going to be what's it going to contribute to people how will people view it it's like 
it'll it sort of labeled itself as being from now from from multiple perspectives of of 2014 1976 it's kind of this blend and you know if 10 years from now people look at it and think oh that's all cliche that's all a stereotype it's like exactly you know yeah, that's what it's called <laughs> that's what it's called this it is, is a stereotype. clearly it is a stereotype <laughs> yeah thanks you guys for coming to the studio and um participating here. in this and <laughs> chinufa happens to live here <laughs> don't don't lift oh, the oh, bail suspend, don't ruin suspend it. disbelief <laughs> Yeah, We're this is like... a beautiful downtown <laughs> studio. Uh, anyways, thank you all for listening. And if you want to check out the project, um, www.thisisastereotype, all one word, dot com. I'll say dot com. Dot com. www.thisisastereotype.com. You can stream and download the film for free there and share it with your communities if you want and right now i'm going to play the audio from the film so um how long is it 40 minutes total um from start to finish so um if you've been enjoying us talking about it now you can listen to the audio and um then hopefully you'll get inspired and go watch the visuals too and thank you very much thanks thank you Zero your counter now. We are of the Dwakantua uh, Sioux tribe. Uh, we don't like the name Sioux because that's a uh, French word meaning a uh, snake in the grass. I guess the uh, French call the Sioux that by because he snuck through the grass like a snake. <laughs> we like to be called Dakotas. As a culture, we've become pretty lazy and it's easy for us to label things. And with that labeling, have this one definition of understanding as to what that label means. This word Native American or American Indian is this really simple, lazy summation of over 500 different people with different languages and different beliefs and different ties to land and being human. If you go back to my res, and I, I have a feeling it's like any res, they say Indian. You know, it's not Indian, it's Indian. When I went to college, then all the professors and students are saying Native American, and people addressing me say Native American. Then I go back home to my reservation and I say Native American, and everyone's looking at me like, what the f are you talking about? I'm like, oh my God, this is so confusing. And then people back home are like, oh yeah, she's left the reservation and got an education. I think she's better than us and saying Native American. But then if I say Indian to people off the reservation, then they're like, isn't that like a bad term to say? For me, Native American just means that our society and, and the way that we live existed before the United States. I don't mind the term Native American. Um, Indian has kind of been tossed by the wayside in the last 10 or 12 years. I also like indigenous, because indigenous is a broad term. It could be indigenous people of Europe, indigenous people of the Soviet Union, indigenous people of North America. I grew up with the word Indian, though. It's just a, a way for people to describe something, to get a handle on it. I don't think anybody can define what Native American 
it means so much to different people in different eras, you know. Some people, you know, it was a positive sometimes, it was a negative. Definitely a Western term. It's kind of strange. I don't like the idea of uh, an all-encompassing Native American umbrella. It just sort of strips away the diversity and the uniqueness of each tribe. We just have to acknowledge where everybody comes from. Think about the diversity of Indian country with over 500 and what is it now, 67 tribes. And each of our tribes having their own language and their own culture and their own art and design. And the only things that you really see in the stores are that kind of like narrow strip of quote unquote plains Indian things. It's all drawing in on that same stereotypical aesthetic. And the harm of that is that it erases the complete diversity of our communities and it erases all of our contemporary existence and then it collapses even the diversity of the plains down into this like very constricted handful of stereotypes that represents their diverse cultures and communities. Well Native American has kind of a dual life for me. It's someone else's word for my experience struggling to define my experience in one phrase. It's a big task and it can never really accomplish what it's trying to do because it's too ambiguous. For people to really understand my experience, they should come and ask and then, you know, then the complexity begins. You know, how do you refer to yourself is what people, you know, I would like to hear people say more of. I don't think it, any of these phrases are good descriptors of who you've been or who we are now. I don't think they're, they're entirely correct. I think that there is definitely strength in numbers, and I appreciate in some ways that there are terms that refer to us as one people, even though we're, you know, 500 and whatever individual nations in this country. The idea of what do we call ourselves and like, is there power in that? The power all comes from us. I don't think that we need to get rid of any of these terms really, except for maybe Redskin. But I do think that we need to figure out what that means to us and how we see ourselves. What we really should do is just think a little bit, just what are we, just what is an Indian? I know there's many definitions for an Indian as there is stars in the sky again. Uh, a few examples of those, a definition we know of the Bureau of Indian Affairs is if you're one quarter more can be proven by ancestry, you're an Indian. And uh, everybody knows that in the movies, we're depicted as being uh, savage, killing red men. And there are many, many more definitions of just what an Indian is. An Indian is a drunk, a lazy, no good for nothing. But some of the things that I think that this society has failed to recognize is the contributions that the Indian people have made to not only the United States, but to the world. I know in the past, and uh, it has been probably difficult at times to be even associated as an Indian. But hopefully these days are gone. These days are gone now, I hope, forever. But it's going to have to take uh, a responsibility on the part of the younger generation to make known that I am an Indian. I am proud of it. We have made great contributions to the world. 
Oh, Reuben, you seem to be comfortable here and, uh, and happy. Yes. Uh, people are taking care of you real well. That's right. What, what are your interests? What, what well, you... no, I do. Uh, I'm interested in painting, and I guess it just comes naturally. I never had no experience. After the war, I was stationed in uh, Leipzig, Germany, and uh, there I uh, took lessons from some of the German painters. I learned a lot from the German painters because I was doing a lot of things wrong. I used to paint nothing but wildlife, mostly wildlife sceneries and things like that. The head artist at the Marshall uh, College asked, wanted to see me and bring up some of my paintings. So I took, uh, I think, a picture of a pheasant and a deer and a and a scenery, and uh, he told me, he said, these pictures are good, but you shouldn't paint pictures like that anymore. Well, I said, I have to, because I make a living at it. He told me, he says, well, you know, he says, you're an Indian, and if you make Indian paintings, he says, you're gonna sell Indian paintings. I just go home and do nothing but Indian, your Indian culture, being, being that you're an Indian, he said, make Indian paintings. So. I can, before that, I could never sell an Indian painting. Nobody would ever buy an Indian like that around here. Now everything is Indian, and I can make Indian paintings and sell them. Just, that's all I do is all Indian sceneries or paintings, buffalo and things like that, the sacred buffalo, which goes very good. I will have that done by, by the weekend. <laughs> Here's one that some is young she... guy asked for this, so I agreed that. Oh, it's not the young guy. Young fellow wants that, yeah. So I, it keeps me busy. I can't hardly keep up with the orders. I just, every day I'm painting here. Some of the uh, paintings that my son Wilbur does has to do with the uh, past, how the Indian people used to live. I plan to go to the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico for two years and go on to Minneapolis for the next two years. Here's an Indian uh, looking into, into the horizon and there uh, you see the uh, skyscrapers in the back. I'll let him uh, explain uh, what this is. Okay, the top of this painting starts from uh, before the white people came and shows the Indian village up there and then it shows uh, when the white people first came over in the ship. And below that it shows the scene from uh, Wounded Knee and how later on they eventually took over again. And on this side, the Buffalo Necro represents the, after, all the, after they killed most of all the buffalo off, then they put the image of the buffalo on the nickel. And below that's Mount Rushmore. Before that, the black hues used to be considered sacred grounds. After they built Mount Rushmore, to the white men, it represented the defeat of the Indians. And below that's the city, the buffalo skull below it. And the skull in the middle represents the represents the death of the Indians. I guess I have to think back when I was really young. I don't I don't know if there's like a I'm trying to think of oh where where is that one point, where is that defining moment? I think it's a series of moments.
that become your own, your own personal realization, what does it mean to be Native? I think now the definition of what it means to be Native might possibly be different than it was even 10 years ago. And it might be different than it was 20 years ago or 50 years ago. And yet we're still, quote unquote, being Native. What does Native American mean to me? Or Native, what does Native mean to me? I think it, for me, it means a lot of things. It might mean where I live right now on a dirt road in San Carlos. It might mean raising my kids in a single white trailer. But to someone else, it might mean going to a powwow and being at gathering of nations and representing their tribe or selling fry bread on the side of the road on the way to the Grand Canyon. To someone else, it might mean enjoying a, a mutton sandwich with green chili. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. I don't know, I sort of considered myself kind of lucky, I guess, to be um, part of something so unique and special and, and cool. But I don't like saying that because the idea that natives are unique makes us seem like we're a small, like a sliver of something and something bigger. But, you know, I mean, we are, especially tribally, you know, when you say that you're from a specific tribe, that's like, it's completely different than any other tribe. There's always kind of a, an internal conversation about what does it mean to be a real Indian? And I think even people who say they don't have that internal struggle have that internal struggle. A lot of it has been because these images in the media only paint that sort of one-sided stereotype of this is a real Indian. A real Indian is a plains Indian with a, a war bonnet and buckskin and beads. And that's something that has even been sort of picked up in a lot of our communities. Like I know there are definitely images of folks in more contemporary times putting on those outfits to go to government meetings or to um, do public events or things in order to be recognized and seen as fully Native people because they know that that's what non-Natives associate with being a real Indian. And it is complicated because those instances where they needed to feel fully seen as Native people, it was in order to fight for our communities or to represent our communities. And if that's what you had to do, then that's what you had to do. But then it kind of continues the stereotype of that's what real Indians look like, something that kind of seeps into how you view yourself as a, a contemporary Native person. Okay, what you're looking at right now is a beaver pelt. And the beaver pelt at the time of the voyager was probably the most sought after commodity in this country because fashion in Europe dictated that high hats were the rage and everyone was wearing furs. These are pipe stems. Just about everyone in that time used to smoke a long pipe and every once in a while you'd find these pipe stems that apparently was a dump area. This is a, a hand-blown glass bead. It's fun to collect, like I said before, because it's not so much a, a hobby, but a, a real insight into what man was 7,000 years ago to 250 years ago. These are old artifacts, and I'm sure artifacts of 
of today are going to be like beer cans and flip tops and things that we use every day. And these are what, what man used every day about a thousand years ago. We found this to be a most interesting project, hobby, and it's a good family project for us. I was in Cherokee, North Carolina when I was 13, my brother Dallas and I. And we're walking around and um, we see a, uh, a guy who's actually very obviously, you know, the phenotype Indian. He's a, it's like a, a Cherokee guy, full blood Eastern band dude, or full blood looking anyway, if he wasn't. But he's in a headdress and he's on this like, um, this like plains, like regalia. And he's standing there on the corner and, uh, and I'm like, what the f is this guy doing? He's sitting there and he has a little placard thing that says five bucks for pictures or something like that. Some kids came up and are like, you know, hey, you know, take a picture with the Indian. I'm like, damn, that's up. It's messed up that an Indian person would actually sell their own image, this fake image. It's messed up that they would do that to themselves. That they would see themselves as so not real that they would do that. The dad says to the kids, now, now say how, say how to the Indian. And... These kids are like, how, Indian? And I'm like, well, for me, even if I was like hard up, like that would be my breaking point. That, that'd be where I'm like, all right, you know what? Random dude, like fists are coming out. Like you just said how to me. Like, but no, that was the whole image. He raised his hand and goes, how, you know? And I was like, oh. And I walked away feeling so hurt by that. Not just for myself, I just felt bad for the guy. And it, it just pulled at me for a really long time. And I was trying, I, it took a long time to figure out what bugged me about it so much. But um, in the end, it ended up being that even if he didn't believe himself to be a stereotype, even if he was a guy that understood what it meant to be Indian, even if he knew all his traditions, spoke his language, what, what, all this stuff, he is still a dude that thought that the only way people would be interested in his Indianness is if it was in a way that they had seen like on TV. If it was a, this messed up romanticized version of it, you know. The only way he thought that um, non-native people would be interested is if he played into that role. There's something deep and hurting about that. We are still here is not a good enough statement, you know. That's our, it, it was in the 70s. We're still here, man, you know, but like, the question now is like, we're still here, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna show to the world then? Yeah, we're here, and people have heard, so it's like, well then, what do we say? I've met people who have like no idea what about Native Americans other than teepees, Geronimo, horses, uh, I think that's it, you know? Pretty much, like literally, you know, eagle. <laughs> you kind of step back. And you tell them, well, there's, you know, over 500 tribes right now in the United States. A lot of them have individual languages as well. Also many different religious views and cultural ways of doing things. And they all dance differently, but there's a recent type of gathering that happens almost like a festival. And it's, it's, it's become a very social gathering for Native Americans, and it's called a powwow. You know, just to try to explain to them very generally, you know, they dance, it's all social dance, and it's very separate from important individual tribal ceremonies and gatherings. That is definitely not a powwow. 
That is what I tell people about powwows. In the powwow circle, you know, there's definitely space for some positive spirituality that, that you can find, you know? I think it's a really good thing. I think sometimes Native people so easily get caught up in banging each other over the head about what is and isn't Indian that they kind of just forget to be human, just to be good people. Then it becomes all about, well, I'm more Indian than you. So what's cool about that? Not everybody was born and raised in the same way. And that's the thing that I think that people are afraid to talk about even now is the fact that Indian people are immensely complex. Native people have always been complex. The systems that talk about us didn't want to talk about the complexity. For some reason, they always wanted to talk about the, the ethno-purity of what it means to be Native American. Something that, that would always happen is, you know, growing up, I had long hair. So I always was called a girl. Oh, that's a pretty little girl, you know. I'm sitting there with my brothers and we have long hair, you know, at Denny's or, you know, some something in the waitress you know, says that or something. And, you know, that was something that bugged me you know but then if you go my family you know dances and so when we were dressed up to perform it became a positive thing and everybody was like they knew we were boys because all of a sudden they saw us as indians you know people off the reservation would follow us in grocery stores or drug stores and how my mother would react to it she was really militant and combatant with people off the reservation that would do that when i was a kid she would confront them, you know, like, do you, do you follow your white customers? Why, why are you following us? Going out in public uh, when I was a kid would always ultimately end up in some sort of confrontation because, you know, she really wasn't passive as far as putting up with that kind of shit. Stereotypes and discrimination go hand in hand, <laughs> you know. My family, it's like, sometimes you go out to eat and you get, you know, really crappy service or people follow you around stores and stuff. I'm kind of lighter skinned so like part of my family is darker like my dad's darker and you know so there's a mixture of kind of color in my family and, and so you know I I definitely am on the lighter side so I get to kind of see it from the outside a little bit more and you know in my own community because I am light skinned I get kind of a hard time sometimes because they think I'm a white guy. Oh, I thought you were a white guy. Um, so, so that, you know, that it's complex. You know? It's complex. You, you really know who you are from an early age because you kind of have to be fortified against the outside world with your identity. In the 90s, we were living in uh, Pittsburgh. The World Series was happening, and there was, uh, what was it, the Atlanta Braves, you know? and they were doing the tomahawk chop and all of that kind of stuff. And my sister, uh, we're eight, nine years apart, and so she was about three years old, maybe four, and I was around 12. And we walked into the living room and the World Series was on, and my sister, who was three, turned to my mom. She asked, why are they doing that? Is it powwow time? And my mom, who's probably one of the most educated influential people that not just I know but many in the community knew uh, was quiet and uh, 
and she kind of, you know, I realized that she was about to cry because there was no way for her to explain to my three-year-old sister why people would do that and what was happening and that it wasn't Palo time and that those were not our people. With my mom, you know, she grew up uh, with, a, with the American Indian Movement. So for my mom to go from 20 to 30 years of her life to having her own child at three in her living room, seeing the same stuff that she was trying to help disseminate when she was in college. I would imagine that would be sad for any parent. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, just 24. Our parents and grandparents have been trying to tell people that this is wrong for at least 50 years. And how long does it take for people to understand and just recognize that if it offends the people, it's offensive. <laughs> and if you're not from the people, who are you to say what offends them and what doesn't? My name is Tayots and was born 1931. I spent some years in Chamorro Indian School from third grade until the ninth grade, and then I moved to Granger. But those days in the boarding school were quite an experience to me. It more or less uh, prepared me for the time I got out of high school and was drafted into the Army. It seemed I could march better than the other inductees that was there because of the military type of atmosphere in the Indian schools in the uh, 40s and 30s. But I spent some time in Korea as a paratrooper in the 187th Airborne. But uh, today, I'm a tribal councilman. I represent quite a majority of my people on a day-to-day -day basis. That is just another short part look into my life as a Yakima today. Our project began about two years ago, which is a state of Minnesota, Title IV ESCA project here in Grand Portage, and it tried to answer the, the, uh, the needs, the question of fact that there is not much or any Indian materials that are really being used in the school, our local school district. We feel that is a, a primary need that is very important for our children and for non-Indian children to learn about the history and culture of our people, the Ojibwe. Here is one book that is used in the Head Start level. It's called Wanted Kuwait, and it is a book that uh, talks about uh, how this little Indian girl that goes to the Head Start program is the same as everyone else. She brushes her teeth in the morning and she eats breakfast has a mommy and daddy like everyone else, but she is different. She has a culture uh, that is different than the other non-Indian children. She's a little Indian girl, and she has things that make up her, herself and her being that are different. That's called culture. So this kind of goes into that and points out to little children that to be different is not to be wrong. Uh, it's easy to use uh, the Indian culture as, as, as a word, culture, but I guess to us, it really means everything. 
things that we have to keep our, our Indian way of life. The goal of the program, I believe, is to uh, make the uh, children of, of San Juan Pueblo uh, proud to be Indians. I think for too long of a time, the uh, education program, as it was designed for the Indian people, neglected who we are and what we are. And, and I think the bilingual education program is making a significant uh, impact on, on this particular problem. Because of the program, uh, I think our children will grow up to, to, at an early age, realize that they, they are Indians, that they have something that they should be proud of, and, and uh, this, will, this will help them to be uh, uh, successful people when they grow up. As years go by, maybe the white man can learn from the Indian textbooks for a change. It'd be a way of informing the, the white people, so-called, to learn about the Indians. I mean, the, what a real Indian is, not, not an Indian that's running around half naked and this kind of thing, but to really inform the white society about what an Indian really is. I grew up with like being native as just a part of who I am. The realization of when that made me an other into sort of an outside world, I don't know that that really happened for a really long time. Because I also went to a progressive Indian school in St. Paul called the Red Schoolhouse. Went there from kindergarten to third grade. And then from third grade to like seventh grade, I went to uh, the Buganagishik school. And up until middle school, I, I was um, surrounded by Indians in Indian communities. The good thing is, is that the education in that school, for, especially for elementary and middle school kids, was top-notch. So when I went to, the, went to the public school for middle school and I started going, I was actually more advanced than most of them. But the teachers, the faculty at the public school, this middle school that I went to, definitely thought I was a lot dumber because I came from an Indian school. The white man religion is uh, something that it belongs to them. It doesn't belong to the Indian. The Indian have their own religion. And Indians were put here for a purpose. And I think they're showing that purpose today. My name is Father Bearsheart. I'm the uh, priest in charge here at St. Cornelius. I'm the first Indian priest ever to serve that church. My grandfather, at the age of 14 years old, took part in the Battle of the Little Big Horn. I didn't learn any of these when I was in school. There was no history of any type that was taught in our schools. It was until I was about 30 years old when I went to a seminary, and other people want me to talk about the Indian people, and, uh, and then I tell them that uh, Today we're gradually losing our culture. Most of our children today can't speak their own, own language. And, uh, and they keep uh, telling me that this is wrong. So it was, well, at my seminary uh, studies in Berkeley, California, Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California, that I started to do some research. We have a great culture among the Indian people, the first Americans. 
I didn't realize that there were so many tribes throughout our nation. I can speak the Dakota language. In fact, uh, I, when I first began school, uh, I went to a mission school. And uh, one of the first things they told us was to speak English. And I didn't know a word of English, and uh, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, express myself or communicate with others. Sometimes I don't know why I got spanked. After listening to these well-educated men, men that have degrees, master's degrees or some doctorate degrees, told me that this is wrong. So this is the story of my life today. I'm a priest of the Episcopal Church, but yet I'm proud of being an Indian. Well, that is all right. I mean, it makes me reflect back. How am I anyway? What do I go through? You know? Eventually, this idea of Native America is really going to just be null and void. We have more important to worry about, like the fact that water is gold, you know. This conversation of Native and American Indian is important to have, but I also think that our youth understand that what's happening with their communities, and for us, you know, like land erosion and loss of land is more of an important conversation. You know, the coastal people, we're the people that are gonna find out what a map is, really, and what its limitations are, really, due to our climate change. We have a greater conversation about the plastic ocean and the things that are going on around us. But how much stronger would we be if we didn't have to have a battle that should have ended 50 years ago? Being a living culture, any culture that's alive, that's living, that's growing, that's flourishing, that's going to explode and, and it needs to be allowed to. And, and in some ways, I think, in the process, I think it kind of destroys itself too. In order for it to grow, it kind of has to destroy certain aspects of itself, a culture. And for the culture to grow and for people to go forward, certain things have to be kind of moved out of the way. I guess we have to be careful as Native people to not put ourselves in these boxes that have been created for us. You know, we need to just um, keep redefining ourselves. You know, I'm responsible for being supportive of preserving our individual cultures and languages, but I'm also responsible for the attacks or responding to the attacks on our identity and popular culture and the world. The ugliness of it and the beauty of it. I can't separate myself from what I am. There is probably that kid in the living room that's wondering why their cultures being presented in that manner when it's not a truth. And especially during Halloween, when they go back into that classroom and someone is pretending to be someone of their culture and war hooping around and they silence themselves more so than speak up. They're quiet because they don't know how to remedy that. But if those voices weren't hit with all of that and just allowed to breathe, we would really be allowing our youth to be some really strong individuals to help our water systems, our land systems, our environment, or wherever they want to go in their journey. But I don't think there's too many other humans 
youth that have to deal with the that our youth have to deal with because they were never slowly attacked as a child. It's all about exposure and it's all about getting our voices and our faces and our images and our designs and everything out there to challenge those stereotypes because we've been so invisible for so long and now we have a new opportunity through social media and through new media and through these other outlets that haven't always been accessible to us as Native peoples to tell our own stories for the first time, to have our voices be the ones talking about our communities, and both the, the positive and the negative, but I really push for having positive representations because the only things we see are these stereotypes, and a lot of the stereotypes are very negative about the poverty and the alcoholism and the disappearing culture and these things, but there's so much vibrancy and so much joy and so much excitement that I see in my own community and my Native friends and uh, the work that I do. And so being able to push that forward as the new representations, I think is really important and is gonna be a, a lifelong continuing battle, but we are really starting to make inroads. And I think we need those Native voices in all sort of areas throughout media, throughout business, throughout everything to be able to have those living counter narratives, those living counter stereotypes to the things that are so ingrained in our society and are so hard to shake and to challenge. We're in a position where we have access to sort of a loudspeaker to the world with the internet and we don't have to yell out about how pissed off we are. Because people have been doing that for a long time or how angry we are or how, how much we want to change things. And if we are going to say those things, we're going to couch them in, you know, in our laughs and our silliness. And if we're going to be a stereotype, we're going to be a stereotype that we control. It was my privilege to have received my Bachelor of Science degree at Northern Montana College. And at that time, it was very unfavorable to be an Indian. Today, it is much more favorable. You have many, many people who support you. But you're going to find that there are those who do not, and sometimes they are in authority. Be careful, my Indian friends, of people like this. But just remember, there are a few like that, but there are many more who support you. So don't give up. We didn't. We won't. Our parents never said that we have to just sit here on the reservation doing nothing. They said, there's the world. Go out and seek it. Discover what's in that world. We did. There isn't one in our family who doesn't have an education. History, 10, 20 years from now. Let's just hope that this continues on.
never met.